Bearcast presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Welcome into the Bearcast, and today. I'm going solo. Craig is not here. He is out today. So you get to listen to me for the next hour. It should be a lot of fun. A lot of good news information to talk about. I'm going to kind of go through pretty much every single sport, uh, I think, for the most part, at least the ones that are going on right now. But a lot of good Baylor news and nuggets uh, to definitely talk about. But first of all, Jack wanted me to mention this. Garrett Probably wanted me to mention this. I wanted to mention this, but uh, we're up to 2,500 subscribers on the Baylor Athletics on 365 YouTube channel, and we're thrilled. Thank you all so much for being a part of this ride and for getting us to this point. We're just hoping to continue to grow that, and the BearCast is, of course, a part of that. So thank you to all of you all for listening and staying plugged in to all the Baylor news and nuggets and content uh, that we produce now, as far as how today's going to go, we obviously we're going to start with uh, some big news, I would say, in the recruiting circles, another transfer edition for Baylor. Uh, we'll talk about some basketball stuff as well, a little XFL nugget, because uh, good old Abram Smith had a nice performance in the championship game, uh, and softball, as well as they get ready for their regional. But today we have to start with, I, I think, to me, the biggest news item this week, uh, Utah State transfer cornerback Ajani Carter committed to Baylor. Another huge addition for Dave Randa and the staff. And the second guy to come from Utah State joining Byron Vaughns, who committed about a little less than a month ago. Uh, he plays Jack. But as far as Ajani Carter goes, he's got one year of eligibility remaining. Uh, he was a guy who chose Baylor over offers from Indiana. Penn State, BYU, Houston, really nice offer list and kind of one of those recruitments that was very interesting for me to to cover because uh, about three weeks ago, he thought he was going to take his official visit to Baylor. That got moved back to the next week. Then the next week, he thought he was going to take his official visit. It got moved back again until he finally took an official visit, and not this past weekend, but the one before. So he goes on that visit. That came days after taking his visit to Indiana. And then that week, it was kind of one of those things where he told me he was getting ready to make a decision. He was going to commit soon. And then these offers from Penn State, BYU, and Houston came. And so it kind of made you sit back and go, okay, is he going to take another official visit? How's that going to work? Uh, He decided to take one more official visit to BYU this past weekend before making his decision. And then, of course, he decided to make his decision uh, later on that night uh, on May 13th. So, yeah, again, it was kind of an interesting recruitment as these transfer portal recruitments can be, uh, but it continues to just kind of build this trend. 
uh, that Baylor has had throughout this offseason, and in particular, this late transfer cycle where they went out, they got Byron Vaughns after he took a visit to Baylor. Now, he visited by himself, and then he committed right after that visit. Then you had Trevin Maya, uh, the Oregon defense lineman who transferred. He took his official visit during the green and gold game. Again, he was the only transfer visitor on campus. He committed after. And then, of course, Ajani Carter. So the theme being Baylor gets their guys on campus. Baylor recruits them really hard. Baylor lands them more times than not. That is how this transfer cycle has gone over the past month. I would say. So as far as Ajani goes, he has been recruited as a cornerback for Baylor. So I'm going to start there. A lot of people talked about, hey, is he going to play safety? Because Baylor seems like they have a need there. Uh, But this offer was not for safety. And to be honest, going through tracking the offers that have gone out in the transfer portal, the ones that I know of, they really haven't recruited the safety position very hard, which in my eyes makes me more comfortable with the position. And I think it should make you more comfortable with that position as well uh, because the focus has been on cornerback. So Johnny Carter, he's about six foot, 195 pounds. He totaled 44 tackles, six pass breakups, two forced fumbles and interception in 10 games last year. And then 2021, he had 45 tackles, two sacks, three interceptions, and a forced fumble. So big takeaway for me from this is the four interceptions and the three forced fumbles. That's huge. Uh, This team simply did not force enough turnovers last year. They really did not put themselves in great positions, in my eyes, to force turnovers. And then, of course, when they did, they didn't capitalize on those. And I know a part of it is Al Walcott having you know broken hand and having to wear that cast and really being limited. Uh, that affected some things because I do think he probably would have been one of the guys that created the most turnovers. Uh, and then Devin Lemire forced turnovers. But outside of that, it really was an underwhelming showing. And now you get a guy who's proven that he can force turnovers and can make plays on the football and just be a playmaker out there. Um, and that's what you're getting with the Johnny Carter. Uh, because simply put, when you're playing in the Big 12, you have to take advantage of mistakes. And just playing sound defense is not enough in this league. There's too many good quarterbacks, too many good schemes, too many good game plans. You have to be able to take advantage when a mistake is made. And I believe Johnny Carter will do that for this Baylor defense. Now, a huge area for me where this became massive for Baylor is when you look at their depth chart at the cornerback position. And you see a pretty good group. You brought in Isaiah Dunson from Miami. You have Chateau Reed. You have Tevin Williams, guys who have developed. Then you have young guys who aren't very experienced at all, even though I wouldn't say Chateau Reed and Tevin Williams are the most experienced guys. They do at least have some reps. And we saw them this spring, and they played really well in the spring game, and that got everyone really excited. But I will say at the end of the day, this group did struggle during the spring. There were times where they had major issues during the spring. And so if we only look at the spring game, I think that's a mistake. There were some areas where they did struggle throughout the spring. So keep that in mind as to, you know, a reason why they really attacked the cornerback position as hard as they did uh, during this transfer portal cycle. So you bring in a guy like Ajani, I think he's going to be the starter. Uh, for this team, one of the stars at cornerback. Uh, right now, after the spring game, I, I think Chateau Reed has the inside track to be the other starting corner. Uh, but in general, 
This is going to be a unit that's going to rotate. Matthew Palich wants to bring in this press coverage identity. And when you're playing press for as much time as they're going to play press coverage, you're going to need to be able to sub guys in and out. And so these four guys are basically your de facto starters at the position. You're going to see a whole lot of them. And then you're going to hope that maybe one or two guys of the younger group uh, kind of just develop and mature to a point where maybe if there are injuries or anything like that, that you can kind of weave your way, manage uh, through that. Uh, But in general, you got four guys now who can play, and that gives them the necessary depth, in my opinion, to actually run press coverage throughout an entire game. And I'm not going to say that they're going to do that every single game because they will have to run some zone at times, but I do think that that is going to be their identity, being more physical on the outside. And bringing in a guy like a Johnny Carter gives you that because he's got the experience, he's got the intangibles, he's got the maturity, he's got the physical strength to actually hold up when trying to cover guys in that way. you got to have press corners in this league if you want to be successful, and that's exactly what Baylor got with a Johnny Carter. Now, that wasn't the only big news item, I would say, during this recruiting cycle. Uh, We've seen how many transfers these guys have brought in. The coaching staff has done just an amazing job of really revamping this roster, I would say. And I think, in general, this was more so the cherry on top than anything else. I'm not sure how many more guys they're going to be able to add. This was my expectation that he was going to be the last one. I haven't seen a lot of momentum to kind of proving that otherwise. So I think they're full now. I think this is their roster going into next year. You might see a walk-on or two get put on scholarship. But as far as the way that I look at it and the numbers that I look at, I think Carter is going to be the last addition there, which uh, is key. Is key. It was a position of need that they needed to address. And now you look at kind of the end result of the roster and you see all the transfers that they were able to add since the end of the season. And you're just seeing a unit that is really starting to come together. And also you're seeing a change in philosophy from Dave Randa and the entire staff as far as how they're going to utilize the transfer portal going forward. I've had a lot of conversations on this. And I know a lot of people on the board are really excited about this as well. Um, But to me, I think the sweet spot for this Baylor staff, really their typical year should be somewhere between six to eight transfer uh, portal additions per year. I know some people will say this needs to be more of the norm. It needs to be like 12 to 15. I think that's way too many. I just think if you're actually a good football team, you should be able to get by with six to eight additions on your roster, especially if you're able to develop some of your younger guys and they see a clear path to playing time. Anything less than that, though, is where you start looking at last year as a perfect example of, hey, maybe they should have you know attacked the portal a little bit more. Maybe they should have addressed some positions that they just rolled with their younger guys and just kind of hoped that didn't work out last year and I think this year they corrected that mistake they've been extremely aggressive they found guys who fit their culture and fit the needs of the roster so in general I'm very impressed Baylor fans should be very impressed by what we've seen so far by the staff as far as building out this roster now let's go into some more recruiting notes Uh, There aren't a ton, but there are a few news nuggets that I did want to talk about this week. So tomorrow, Louisville wide receiver Lamar Kirby will be making his commitment decision. This is a big one. Baylor currently sits at four commits in the 2024 class. They do have one receiver in Jaden Porter, uh, the wide receiver out of Lorena. But now an opportunity here. 
to go out, try to find another prospect who fits what they're trying to build. And also I think fits a need that they truly do have, which is a bigger wide receiver. And that seems to have been the focus with this 2024 recruiting class, trying to find bigger, sturdier outside wide receivers. And Jaden Porter can do some of that. I view him more as a slot, but he can do both. Kirby is strictly an outside receiver, and I do think they'll probably take, if they're able to land Kirby, I think the the goal is that they take around three or four wide receivers in this class, Uh, so Kirby would get them much closer to that number. Uh, He's choosing between Baylor, TCU, Arizona State, Missouri, and Tulsa. Those are his final five schools, and he will be deciding tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m., 7 to 7.30. He kind of mentioned it's going to depend on when their spring game ends there at Louisville. Um, But yeah, he'll be deciding around then. He's a high three-star guy. According to our website, he's a four-star. The reason he is a four-star is because I've actually gotten to see him in person. I saw him at the Under Armour camp back in March, and the guy was absolutely unguardable. Uh, Even against guys who are four-star, three-star guys who are at that camp, Kirby was a standout from it. Truly impressed me, and I think going into this year, he'll be much more of a factor in their offense. Uh, a year ago, Louisville really relied on running the football and then their elite defense. I think you'll see him open it up a little bit more. He was their leading receiver, but it wasn't a ton of stats, uh, or at least there weren't a ton of stats behind that. So keep, in, keep, in, keep this in mind. Uh, Kirby is a huge focal point. Uh, for this staff and a guy who they've been recruiting really hard. So we'll see if Dallas Baker and company can get the job done and land uh, the three-star, four-star type prospect out of Louisville, which again would continue this really interesting pipeline that they have where Armani Winfield, obviously on the roster, he went to Louisville, Caden Jenkins, a uh, 2023 signee and enrollee, early enrollee, also from Louisville. So there's a nice little bond there as well. And that's a pretty good school. Uh, to have that bond at. They usually produce very high-level athletes rather frequently. Um, So that's it on Lamar Kirby. Uh, One more kind of news item this week, and it was one that I actually reported on Sikkim 365 today, but uh, Baylor is officially out on four-star offensive lineman Casey Poe out of Lindale. This was a guy that they've been recruiting for a really long time. Uh, Eric Mateos and company have really just... They've made him a priority, it seems like. Um, but up to this point, you know, Casey's been on campus a lot. He's gotten to see everything that I think he needed to see uh, to kind of trim down his list a little bit. Baylor made his top eight a little less than a month ago, uh, but he's trimmed that down to six. And those are the six he's going to be taking official visits to, which are Georgia, Clemson, Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. Pretty good group. Pretty good group, and they all have him as a priority. Uh, So at the end of the day, I do think he'll probably end up in the SEC. I'm looking directly at Alabama and Georgia as potential landing spots for him. No shame in losing a battle to those schools. Um, As far as what does Baylor do next? Well, currently they have Colton Siraki committed along the offensive line. It seems like they have room for maybe one more potentially two more, uh, but right now I think the plan is just to land one more, specifically a tackle, uh, an elite tackle is kind of the goal here. Uh, so that crosses off Casey Poe, but uh, Isaiah Garcia and Ori Williams are two names to keep an eye on, Ori being the one who I kind of uh, 
think has the biggest momentum to Baylor at this point. He's a four-star prospect, a very good prospect as well. So Baylor is not short on options here, uh, but still missing out on a high four-star guy like Casey Poe, who you've been recruiting for a long time, is not ideal. Uh, But Baylor should be able to rebound uh, by looking towards some of the other uh, names that they have on their list. But again, looks like maybe one, maybe two more spots with the focus being on the tackle position. That's it, I think, for Baylor football recruiting. I guess the only thing that I will mention is they put out like, guys, I'm telling you, they put out like 20 offers yesterday. So trying to keep track of those has been really difficult. But a few 2024 offers, uh, specifically Dante Carter, uh, the 2024 safety out of steel. Really like his game. Really, really good player and a guy who I think ultimately will take an official visit to Baylor. Uh, he's deciding that in the next week or so. Uh, they also put out an offer to 2024 defense lineman uh, Sterling Brooks out of North Crawley. Massive prospect, like 6'4", 315 pounds. Uh, fits their mold at the nose tackle position. So those were the two 2024 offers. Everything else was like 2025, 2026. We're not going to go over all of those, but a ton of offers went out. Baylor trying to be really early on a few guys as well. Uh, as they've kind of been, they've been late on a few, early on a few, and yesterday it seemed like they were really focusing on getting out some early offers uh, to young prospects who they feel really good about. Let's move on now to the basketball side of things. So there was a report earlier this week um, that Ray J. Dennis, the Toledo uh, guard, was going to take a visit to Baylor. Um, I believe that happened on Monday. So he took his visit. Uh, He also visited Illinois and Michigan in recent days. Uh, Ray J. Dennis, the MAC player of the year, probably the best available guard in the portal. He averaged 19.5 points per game and nearly six assists. So this is a guy, very, very good, very capable, a proven scorer, a proven leader of an offense. And in my eyes, a guy who kind of would be a perfect replacement for Adam Flagler if Flagler does stay in the NBA draft. Um, Now, he's still at the NBA Combine trying to show what he can do in front of scouts and, you know, comparing himself against the other top prospects in this class. Uh, But Baylor, on the other hand, Baylor men's basketball specifically, they have to make sure that they have guys who can come in and potentially make up for what Adam Flagler did for this program uh, just in case he does decide to leave. Now, at this point, I think that there's probably still a 50% chance that Flagler decides to come back. Um, So we're kind of waiting on that. I do think this is a one or the other type situation at the moment. So I think it's either going to be, hey, we're going to wait for Adam Flagler. Flagler's told them, hey, you know, I'm going to come back and then they're going to roll with Adam Flagler. But if Flagler's going to take his time and let's just say Ray J. Dennis needs to make a decision, you know, that's going to put Baylor in a very tough spot um, because at some point they have to make sure that their roster next year is solidified and they can't just wait forever on Adam to make his decision. Um, we should know by the end of the month, which is two weeks away. Hopefully, they're kind of both just talking to the staff a lot, and the staff kind of knows where they are at. Um, But in general, Baylor, again, preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. And honestly, when you're preparing for your worst, and it leads to the MAC player of the year and one of the best transfer portal guys you could possibly land, that's a pretty good situation to be in. So once again, Scott Drew and staff ahead of the curve. 
Uh, they got great relationships with multiple transfers as they await decisions by Adam Flagler and Jalen Bridges. Now, speaking on those two, Adam Flagler has had a really nice time at the NBA Combine. He only measured in at 6'1", which is not great. Uh, 6'4 wingspan, that's pretty good. Uh, he shot the ball really well, fifth overall in the three-point shooting drill, uh, 68%. He was 17 out of 25 again. That was fifth overall. 31-inch vertical, 36-inch max vertical. Uh, did well in the, in the uh, sprinting, had three-quarter court drill and the pro lane drill. He was solid in that as well. So, He's a good athlete. We've seen that. The shooting continues to be there for him. That's going to be appealing. But I do think the size is something to keep an eye on and something that will probably drop him back to the second round uh, or he won't even be drafted at all. I think that's kind of the decision that he's trying to weigh. Now, on the flip side, Jalen Bridges, he did the G League Combine uh, to try to get a spot at the actual NBA Draft Combine. It does not look like he's gotten one which kind of ups my odds that he returns to Baylor. I actually think it's getting closer to 75%, 80% that he does return, uh, maybe even higher than that, honestly. I think Jalen Bridges will be back in a Baylor uniform next year, which again would be massive. He was so good last year, and he continues to be a guy who throughout the season, he just got better and better. We saw him at the beginning of the year. People were freaking out, talking about how he's kind of a bust, how this isn't going to work. Um, not shooting the ball well, you know, the fit's not working. And then later in the year, you saw once Big 12 play came around, I mean, you could make a case that he was like the second best player on the team at times last year, just with his length, his shooting, um, the defense that he brought to the table, which really was lacking for Baylor last year, and then the rebounding, which I felt like he did a very nice job of uh, later on in the season. And so I think for me, when I look at this, you get him back, and then you either get Flagler or, say, Ray J. Dennis or you know someone else that they've looked at in the portal, I think you're on your way to having a very, very good team next year uh, because they've done a nice job with the portal. They were able to get Eves Missy to reclassify so you feel good with your post play now. And then just adding these veteran leaders is kind of what you need going forward and kind of your superstars of the team. They need to figure out a way to, to get those guys plugged in, but... I mentioned this probably, I don't know, it might have been a month or two ago, but Jalen Bridges really reminds me a little bit of these Kansas Wings. And the guys that I'm mentioning in that group, Jalen Wilson and Ochai Agbaji, they both could have left a year early uh, before their big peak year, and it would have hurt their draft stock. They would have been like second-round picks. And then you look and you go, oh, Ochai Agbaji snuck into the lottery because he stayed, had an amazing season, averaged like 18 points per game, shot lights out from three, really took that step forward, and that propelled him to being a lottery pick. Jalen Wilson this year, I mean, if you look on the team that won the championship for Kansas, Jalen Wilson was so hot and cold. I mean, it was all off and on, good game, bad game, times where he disappeared completely. And then you watched him this year, and you sat there and were like, this guy's an alpha. This guy's absolutely probably the best player in the Big 12. I mean, he was that good for stretches this year. And now you look up, and he's probably going to be a fringe lottery pick um, at his size and with his skill set. And to me... I compare them a little bit to Jalen Bridges, and I see that kind of ceiling with him where he could come back and shoot high 30% from three, maybe 40% from three. 
get to a point where he's like averaging, you know, 15, 16 points per game and truly kind of solidifying himself as, you know, one of, if not the best player on Baylor's team next year. I do think that there's a case to be made for that. I think we saw the flashes of that last year to where you can be pretty optimistic with what he could bring to the table uh, this upcoming season. So yeah, huge news there. Again, I'm becoming more and more optimistic that he will be back. Flagler still 50-50 right now, but good to know that Baylor is still evaluating options and they're continuing to search the portal for guys who could potentially come in and plug in uh, for their key guys from last year. Uh, Other news on the basketball side of things, there's really not a whole lot to report on currently. They did put out a new offer to Kingston Flemings, a 2025 prospect out of the San Antonio area, which, again, that's a pretty big offer since I'm from San Antonio. He's a very good player. A lot of my friends, including myself, have gotten to see him in person. I've seen comparisons to TJ Ford, so keep an eye on him. He's young. But he's one of the absolutely one of the best true point guards in the entire state of Texas, and will probably be rated uh, like that as one of the top players in the entire state and the country. To be honest with you, he's a very very good one. So good offer going out there. Outside of that, not a lot to report on for basketball. We talked about Eves Missy last week. Roster starting to come together a little bit. Just waiting on these decisions, and we should know by the end of the month. Uh, next news item, let's talk a little bit about Abram Smith, uh, DC Defenders. Uh, he played in the championship game and played really, really well, actually. Had two touchdowns. I think he had like 118 yards of total offense to go along with those two touchdowns. Good for him. You know, we'll kind of see what that leads to. I do think he'll get a camp invite. I don't believe one has been announced yet. Um, But I do believe he will get one of those camp invites going forward, which is really exciting because Abram has been a guy who I think last year we all expected him to maybe make a roster or at least kind of stick in the league. And it just didn't happen with the Saints. He dealt with injuries, didn't play very well, and it just was really unfortunate. And now you saw him in the XFL. He led the league in rushing, and then he tops it off with a performance like this. So again, 13 carries, 90 yards, two touchdowns, and then he caught two passes for 28 yards. He had a 52-yard touchdown uh, during that game, which was a part of that 90 yards rushing that he had. So congrats to Abram Smith. Very good performance. The D.C. defenders came up short. Uh, against what was just a crazy run by the Arlington team to win the championship. But still, nice performance. He should get an opportunity in the NFL going forward. Uh, Next on the list, how about we talk a little bit about Baylor softball. So they're going to their regional. They're going to be playing in the Salt Lake Regional, of course, hosted by the number 15 seed Utah, who's coming in 37-13 and on the year. Uh, the Bears, obviously, this is a double double elimination tournament. They'll start off with Ole Miss on Friday, and then they'll face the winner between Utah and Southern Illinois in the second game. And, you know, this Baylor softball team really had a disappointing performance in the Big 12 tournament. Losing to Iowa State, um, not great. And it really zapped the momentum that they had from sweeping Texas the weekend before. So now they're kind of coming into this and you're kind of questioning where this team is at going into this Salt Lake Regional. But at the end of the day, they're more than good enough to win this region. Baylor's been basically a top 16 team all year long. Uh, But because of that loss, they did not get a regional seed. 
So now they're going to have to travel somewhere. Uh, but the good news for Baylor is they've been really, really good against top 25 teams. They're 8-8 eight and eight on the season, which is really, really good. That includes a win over the number one overall seed, Oklahoma. They're the only team to beat the Sooners this year. So they're going into this, I think, with a lot of confidence that they can come in and actually compete and actually win this region and then move on. And the good news is they're in the region with the 15 seed, which means they get to avoid the number one overall seed in the Super Regional, which would be Oklahoma. Uh, That's the one team you absolutely don't want to play. Anyone else, I think Baylor can beat. I think it's very possible that they could advance uh, through a Super Regional against two seed. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Overall, though, I'm pretty optimistic going into this regional. I do think that this Baylor softball team has something about them. They have a good vibe. They have good pitching. They have solid hitting. It just has been inconsistent. And the main area that's been inconsistent is against teams that aren't very good. They've really struggled against some of those lower half teams. So I think we're going to know everything we need to know about how far Baylor softball is going to go based on that game against Ole Miss on Friday. Uh, Because Ole Miss at 30-26 and is the exact kind of team that Baylor has struggled with this year. If they can get through that, I firmly believe they can compete and potentially win this regional. Uh, In general, though, great year for Glenn Moore in this program, making a tournament, being a top, you know, the number 17 overall seed or 18 seed is Pretty good. I mean, they've had a nice year. They've been a top 25 team all year. So congrats to them. Looking forward to seeing how they do over the weekend. Um, Anything else? There's not really a whole lot else for us to get to as far as just news and notes items. Um, So I'm going to dive into the mailbag. I might have some closing thoughts as well as we kind of move forward. But let's start with the mailbag. Scotty B, the Baylor King. He asks, which personality uh, do you like the most between Ajani Carter, Trevin, Maya, and Byron Vaughns? Um, that's such a weird question, right? Which personality do I like the best? I mean, all these guys have been pretty great. I've probably had the most contact with Ajani Carter, uh, and he's been really cool to talk to uh, for the limited time I have. Uh, it's really interesting that he's into horse riding. If you follow him on Instagram, big into horse riding. That's going to be something that I think we're probably going to see more of. I know Matthew Pallage, when he committed, uh, Pallage posted a gif of like a, I think it was a bull riding competition guy, you know, winning the championship and cheering and all that, which obviously signified a Johnny Carter. So I would go with him, but all these guys are great. I mean, I think personality wise is something that you can never really question with this staff because they are so focused on person over player. Uh, So the guys that they recruit are genuinely pretty much always good human beings. And Baylor's really focused on that because I think they believe a great culture can overcome some things when it comes to, you know, lacking talent or things like that. If you have a great culture, you can kind of bind things together and find ways to get through adversity and win games. Biggest trap game. On the schedule for Baylor football is the next question on the list. Biggest trap game. Um, you know, this is one of those questions that I've kind of had to, to ponder a little bit because I do feel like Baylor's going, going to be pretty good at home this year. So I'm eyeing a road game. Um, and the road game that I'm kind of looking at, you know, I know the Central Florida game is tricky and that could easily be a game that they lose. But I think Central Florida will actually be good this year which means the trap game for me is that Cincinnati game. 
And the reason it's a trap game is probably going to go against conventional thinking because it is off of a bye week. Um, But when I look at that first month, when you're having to play Utah, Texas, Central Florida, Texas Tech, all those tough games kind of in a row, and then you get this bye week, and then you got to go to Cincinnati, Ohio. And, you know, maybe they just beat Texas Tech in Waco, and they're feeling really good going into the bye. Let's just say Baylor's sitting there at, you know, four and two. Let's say they're at four and two. I think that's fairly reasonable. You know, you could argue, you know, three and three, whatever. But let's just say they beat Tech, they get to four and two going into that bye week. And then they got to turn around and go to Cincinnati, Ohio, a place they're not familiar with. And play a team that's probably pretty mediocre, but you're having to go on the road. It's a program that still has an identity. It's a program that still does have some talent. And now you got to go on the road and just try to find a way to win that game. I think that is a sneaky trap game because I think it's a game coming into the year where we're all going to sit there and go win. When, like, I I seriously think that. I think we're all going to sit there and say Baylor's going to win that game. And then you look up and they're playing, and you go into the fourth quarter, and the game is like 17-14. to You're like, oh my gosh, they might lose this game. Uh, So yeah, I think that is probably one. The two two, like late October, early November games, Iowa State and Houston and Waco, you know, they're kind of trap games, but I do feel better about Baylor when they're at home than when they're on the road. So I'm going to go with the Cincinnati game, but thanks for that question. I, I think there are some very interesting games on the schedule when you kind of go through potential trap games. And when I consider a trap game, it's got to be a team that, you know, you don't feel like is quite as good as Baylor, but you also feel like, hey, this could be a shaky situation. So Central Florida, Cincinnati, uh, maybe the Iowa State game are a few that in my eyes uh, come to mind the most. Uh, Next question on the list, uh, Jacob Willett asked, what position is Baylor in for Trey Johnson? So Trey Johnson, if you don't know this, he's the number one player in the country for the 2024 class. Uh, Combo guard, I would say. I know a lot of people have him listed as a shooting guard, uh, but he's more than that. He's a very good ball handler. He can shoot. He can get to the rim. Um, He is a complete player, and he's been the number one player in the country for a little while now. Uh, He's out of Dallas at Lake Highlands High School. Very curious if he stays there uh, because I do think there's a case to be made that maybe he does leave somewhere and go play at, you know, Mount Verde or Sunrise Christian or Link Academy or, you know, something along those lines uh, if he wants to play more of a national schedule. But as far as where Baylor is at, I mean, I would consider Baylor the leader for him right now, uh, which I do think is a bold statement. I think it's one that a lot of programs would probably argue isn't true, uh, but Baylor did make his top six that he recently posted over the last week. That include Kansas, Kentucky, Texas, Alabama, and I believe Arkansas was the sixth school. But in general, I feel good about where Baylor is. And I think that Baylor's built such a strong relationship with him that it will be tough for these other schools to overcome that. Um, And I think when you watch his game, you can see why Baylor has prioritized him the way that they have. And Baylor's had a lot of success recruiting guys like this. I mean, Jacoby Walters, a top 10 player in his class. Keontae George was pretty much a top 10 player the entire time during his class recruiting period as well. And I think you're seeing guards really look at the Baylor offense and go, that's an offense I want to play in. That's an offense that's going to get me to the NBA, and I think we're going to see it with Keontae George getting drafted. We saw Jeremy Sohan get drafted. I think we'll see Jacoby Walter get drafted after this year as well. And I think all of that really appeals uh, to guys like Trey Johnson. 
and he's a special talent, a very fun one to watch, and one who, I, again, I think Baylor's really going to focus on trying to land and really just focus on, in general, trying to build their class around him. Um, and I think he'd be a great natural fit for Baylor. Some of the comps that I've seen, if you're looking for NBA comps, uh, I've seen like Devin Booker, uh, Bradley Beal uh, types. So that's the kind of guy that he is, and he could be a top five pick, maybe even the number one overall pick uh, when his time does come. But again, I think Baylor's in a pretty good position. I would consider them the slight leader at this time for Trey Johnson. Uh, So that's it. Those are the only questions I got in the mailbag today. So unfortunately, a little bit shorter uh, with the mailbag time this week. Uh, But as far as kind of other things, just to kind of keep on your radar next week, of course, Craig and I will be back. We'll talk more uh, Baylor news, Baylor items, recruiting, basketball going forward, and especially getting focused in on those decisions that Adam Flagler and Jalen Bridges have coming up. I think that's going to be a huge focal point as we get closer to the summer. And of course, official visits will also be scheduled in the month of June. So we'll have a lot more recruiting updates and more things to talk about there as well. But Garrett, I think that's it for this week, man. I think we've we've covered pretty much every base. Is there anything else you can think of that we need to mention? Oh, man. Uh, no, I would just suggest uh, going and checking out the other content that we have on the other channels out there. I know we started the new episode with King uh, McClure, a former Baylor guard. Just when you talk at Baylor basketball right there, that kind of triggered that. I would go over to the uh, college basketball channel on 365 and check that out. But man, as far as any other things, there's nothing that comes to mind yeah we've absolutely covered it all be sure to look at a uh, sikkim 365 premium as well i have i'll have all kinds of recruiting content we got ashley covering basketball per usual uh, levi covering baseball uh, what's left of their season we'll also have some softball coverage and golf as well as they continue their postseason run so be sure to check that out and of course 365 sports monday through friday Uh, Three to six, Uh, be sure to check them out as well. Crystal Ball College Football, we have all kinds of YouTube channels, so be sure to check all of those out to just try to satisfy your craving for Baylor sports and just college football and sports in general. Uh, But thanks for listening today. This has been the Bearcast. We'll talk to you next week.